And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios. We're out here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is May the 25th. 145th day of the year. 220 days remain till the year is over with. And the uh, this is National Wine Day. So if you know a wine, I'll take him to lunch. It's Towel Day. And I'm not sure what that is supposed to. Sees the fans of Douglas Adams, author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, carrying towels with them to work as part of their daily activities. National Tap Dance Day. Geek Pride Day. International Heritage Breeds uh, Week. Italian Beef Week. Uh, National Barbecue Month. National Bike Month. National Hamburger Month. So go barbecue some hamburgers. National Get Caught Reading Month. Don't want to do that in public, you know. National um, Photograph Month. Ehlers Denlaw Syndrome Awareness Month. National Military Appreciation Month, Golf Month, Better Speech and Language Month, National Deck Safety Month, Blinder Cancer Awareness Month. I had an exam just yesterday. They said I was, other than being broken, I was in great shape. Prater Willie Syndrome Awareness Month, Lupus Awareness Month, National Lyme Disease Awareness Month, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and National Cystic Fibrosis Month. The, uh, <clears throat> as I said, it's the 25th of May. In 567 B.C., Servius Tullius, the King of Rome, celebrated triumph for his victory over the Etruscans. 240 uh, B.C., uh, first recorded perihelion passage of Halley's Comet. 1085 A.D., Alfonso VI of Castile takes Toledo, Spain, back from the Moors. One point in time, the Moors um, controlled the Iberian Peninsula. 1420, Henry the Navigator is appointed governor of the Order of Christ. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the Order of Christ, it's a the Military Order of Christ is the former order of Knights Templars. It was reconstituted in Portugal. Before 1910, it was known as the Royal Military Order of Our Lord Jesus Christ and the Order of the Knights of Our Lord Jesus Christ, founded in 1319 with the protection of King Dennis of Portugal after the Templars were abolished May 22, 1312 by Pope Clement V on the orders of Philip the Fair. 1521, the Diet of Worms ends when Charles V, the Roman Emperor, issues the Edict of Worms, declaring Martin Luther an outlaw. 1644, Ming General Wu Shanggui forms an alliance with the invading Manchus and opens the gates of the Great Wall of China at Shanghagen Pass, letting the Manchus through toward the capital of Beijing. 1659. Richard Cromwell resigns as Lord Protector of England following the restoration of the Long Parliament. 
It begins a, a second brief period of the Republican government called the Commonwealth of England before Charles II uh, took back the throne uh, the next year. He landed at Dover in 1660 at the invitation of the Convention Parliament, which marks the end of the Cromwell-proclaimed Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland and begins the restoration of the British monarchy. 1738, a treaty between Pennsylvania and Maryland ends a kind of jocular war with settlement of a boundary dispute and exchange of prisoners. 1787, after a delay of 11 days, a constitutional convention formally convenes at Philadelphia after a quorum of seven states is secured. 1798, United Irishman Rebellion. Battle of Carlo begins. Execution of suspected rebels at Carnew and at Dunlavin Green take place. 1809, Chukwasaka Revolution. Patriot vote in Chukwasaka, modern-day uh, Sucro, against the Spanish Empire, sparking the Latin Americans' War of Independence. 1810, May Revolution. Citizens of Buenos Aires expelled Viceroy Baltasar Hidalgo de Cisneros during the May week, starting the Argentine War of Independence. 1819, the Argentine Constitution of 1819 is promulgated. 1833, the Chilean Constitution of 1833 is promulgated. 1865, Mobile, Alabama. About 300 people are killed when an ordnance depot explodes. For those that don't understand of what an ordnance depot is, it was an armory where guns and ammunition were stored. 1878, Gilbert and Sullivan's comic opera, HMS Pinafore, opens at the Opera Comique in uh, London. 1895, poet and novelist Oscar Wilde is convicted of committing acts of gross indecency with other male persons and sentenced to serve two years in prison. He was gay, and in those days it was against the law. 1895, Republic of Formosa is formed with Tang Jin Song as the president. 1914, the House of Commons of the UK passes the Home Rule Bill for devolution in Ireland. 1925, the Scopes Monkey Trial. John Scopes is indicted for teaching human evolution in Tennessee. 1926, Sholem uh, Swartzbard assassinates uh, Simon Petulia, head of the government of the Ukrainian People's Republic which is in government in exile in Paris. 1953, excuse me, 1933, the Walt Disney Company cartoon Three Little Pigs premieres at Radio City Music Hall, features the hit song, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? 1935, Jesse Owens of Ohio State University breaks three world records and ties a fourth at the Big Ten Conference Track and Field Championships in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He went on to... Um, really upset Hitler. 1938. Spanish Civil War. Bombing of Alicante kills 313. 1940, World War II. The German 2nd Panzer Division captures the port of Boulogne. Surmerer. Surrender of the last French and British troops marks the end of the Battle of Boulogne. 1946. Paramount Transjordan makes Abdullah I of Jordan their emir. 
1953 nuclear weapons testing at the Nevada test site. The U.S. conducts its first and only nuclear artillery test. The um, I was told when I was on active duty that the Army had developed an atomic hand grenade would destroy everything within 50 meters of where it goes off. The problem is the average soldier can only throw at 30 meters. Also in 1953, the first public television station in the U.S. officially begins broadcasting is KUHT from the campus of the University of Houston. 1955 in the United States, a nighttime F-5 tornado strikes a small city of Udall, Kansas. Part of a larger outbreak across the Great Plains killed 80 and injured 273. It's the deadliest tornado to ever occur in the state and the 23rd deadliest in the country. 1955, the first ascent of Mount uh, Kangshinduanga on the uh, British um, Kangshinduanga expedition led by Charles Evans, Joe Brown, and George Bann. They reached the summit of the third highest mountain in the world at 8,586 meters. Uh, Norman Hardy and Tony Streather join them the next day. 1961, Apollo program, President Kennedy announces before special joint session of Congress his goal to initiate a project to put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. 1963, the Organization of African Unities established in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. 1966, Explorer program, Explorer 32 is launched. This day in 1968, the Gateway Arts in St. Louis, Missouri is dedicated 1973, in protest against the dictatorship in Greece, the captain and crew on a Greek naval destroyer Velos mutiny and refused to return to Greece. Instead, they an anchored in Flumicino, uh, Italy. Flumicino, Italy. 1977, Star Wars, retroactively titled Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, is released in theaters. Also on this date, 1977, the Chinese government removes a decade-old ban on William Shakespeare's work, effectively ending the Cultural Revolution started in 1966 by Chao Mao. 1978, the first in a series of bombings orchestrated by the Unabomber detonates at Northwestern University, resulting in minor injuries. 1979, John Spinkelink, convicted murderers executed in Florida. First person to be executed in the state after the reintroduction of capital punishment in 1976. 1979, American Airlines Flight 191, a McDonnell Douglas DC-10 crashes during takeoff at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. Killed off 271 on board and two people on the ground. And as I've said before, you're having a bad day if a plane falls on you. <coughs> 1981, in Riyadh, uh, Gulf Cooperation, Cooperation Council was created between Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. 1982, Falklands War, HMS Coventry sunk by Argentine Air Force uh, A4 Skyhawks. 1985, Bangladesh is hit by a tropical cyclone and storm surge. Kills about 10,000 people. 1986, the Hands Across America event takes place. 1997, a military coup in Sierra Leone replaces President Ahmad Tehan Kaba with Major Johnny Paul Karoma. 1999, 
The U.S. House of Representatives releases the Koch report, which details China's nuclear espionage against the U.S. over the ne- uh, previous two decades. <coughs> mm. 2000, Liberation Day of Lebanon, Israel withdraws its army from Lebanese territory with the exception of the disputed uh, Sheba Farms Zone, 18 years after they invaded in 1982. 2001, Eric Mayer becomes the first blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest in the Himalayas with Dr. Sherman Bull. 2002, China Airlines Flight 611 disintegrates in midair and crashes into the Taiwan, um, Taiwan Strait with the loss of all 225 people on board. 2008, NASA's Phoenix Lander touches down in the Green Valley region of Mars to search for environments uh, suitable for water and microbial life. 2009, North Korea allegedly tests its second nuclear device, after which Pyongyang also conducts several missile tests building tensions in the international community. 2011, Oprah Winfrey airs her last show, ending her 25-year run with the Oprah Winfrey Show. 2012, SpaceX Dragon 1 becomes the first commercial spacecraft successfully rendezvous and berth with the International Space Station. 2013, suspected Maoist rebels killed at least 28 and injured 32 others in an attack on a convoy of the Indian National Congress politicians and... uh, Chhattisgarh in India. Also in 2013, gas cylinder explodes in a school bus in the Pakistani city of Gurant. Kills at least 18. 2018, a general data protection regulation becomes enforceable in the European Union. And in 2018, Ireland votes to repeal the Eighth Amendment in their constitution that prohibits abortion in all but a few cases. Choosing to replace it with the 36th Amendment of the Constitution of Ireland. Apparently, it's open season on fetuses. Now, well, in one of our previous shows, we <coughs> excuse me, we talked about mummies in the United States. Apparently, there have been quite a lot of mummies found. Most in the Old West. But not many people know in the spring of 1959, Universal Pictures was famous for their monster movies in the 30s and 40s, came out with a vampire western called Curse of the Undead. And as you might guess, the plot was the good guys, the bad guys, feuded over water rights. However, in this particular case, the black cat clad bad guy turned out to be a vampire. He was defeated by a gunslinging preacher with a special crucifix bullet. Apparently, the uh, film was considered a box office hit. But you have to wonder, since the next one with a similar plot was 1966, and it was kind of silly. It was Billy the Kid versus Dracula. I vaguely remember it. I wasn't impressed. Oddly enough, there was one literal cowboy versus vampire tale that came out of the Old West that was not influenced by Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because this story appeared in 1895 and Dracula wasn't published till 1897. 
So if anything, it was probably the other way around. According to the story, a cowboy got in a battle with a genuine vampire in the vicinity of Pine Ridge Territory. He came out into the Defiance Evening News of November 12, 1895. And it was still a matter of um, record as far as late as September 24, 1896. It appeared in a lot of papers across the country. According to the story, the headline said, Human Vampire strangles cattle with his naked hands, his wonderful strength, attempts to capture him, prove futile. Nobody knows who he is. That's told by a Dakota cowboy. Now, the cattlemen on the range is west of Pierre, South Dakota. Talk about a, uh, a madman who for some time has been roaming over the reservation, killing cattle with his naked hands to suck their blood, and in some cases even attacking the cowboys. Now, nobody seems to know who he is or how long he's been wandering around on the ranges. First seen about four or five weeks before the story came out. Uh, repeated attempts have been made to capture him, but so far nobody's been successful. He's said to labor under the hallucination he's a vampire. And how he manages without a weapon of any kind to kill the cattle on which he lives is a mystery that was never solved. When found after he left them, the animals appear to have been seized by the heads, borne to the ground by brute strength, and torn to pieces by teeth and nails. Fingernails, that is. Now, Jack Lewis was a cowboy on one of the ranches about midway between Pierre and the Black Hills. And he was the hero of the most exciting adventure with the madman that's been yet reported. It's about two weeks before the story came out. Lewis had been out for several days with a party on the range, and about six o'clock in the evening he wandered away from his friends and dismounted for a few moments, probably to answer a call of nature. As he stood by his horse, he was struck from behind, knocked to the ground, and nearly strangled by the maniac. Now, he struggled, but he couldn't reach his weapon, while his assailant, frothed at the mouth, made every effort to grab the cowboy by the throat with his teeth. And such wonderful strength that he displayed that Lewis was nearly overpowered, would doubtlessly have been killed had not his friends, attracted by his cries, arrived in time to rescue him. Madman took off when he saw the reinforcements coming, and although pursued by men on fast horses, he continued to elude them in the dark and made his escape. Lewis was quite badly torn about the face and neck by the man's teeth and received a shot from which he hadn't yet fully recovered. Now, a few researchers would call this the first chupacabra case. As all cryptid enthusiasts know, chupacabras do suck the blood of livestock. All they're commonly described as looking like mangy coyotes rather than vampires. But there was another case published in the Rushford Spectator, August 14, 1884, that did talk about a human vampire feeding on cattle. According to that story, scene of another manifestation of the superstition which ended in a tragedy was laid in Hungary. Young Miller, on the eve of his marriage with a peasant girl, was suddenly seized with a mortal illness, expired, and was buried the next day. That night, several cattle were killed in a mysterious manner, and 
young man's betrothed dreamed that she heard him call for help. Her story, along with the incidents of, of the dead cattle, really upset the minds of the villagers already saturated with the vampire belief. So they went to the miller's grave and opened it up, and supposedly the corpse set up with a loud cry. Well, the mob cried vampire and attacked him immediately and beat and mangled him with stones and clubs. Physician who examined the body after that uh, declared it was his opinion the young man had, wasn't dead. He was in a trance, only being murdered by his former friends when their activities brought him out of the trance. Well, the article, the first article came from South Dakota, but the story really came out of Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska is the south bordering state of South Dakota, and together South Dakota and Nebraska share an area known as the Pine Ridge Territory, which extends from northern Nebraska into southern South Dakota. Now, the official Nebraska history blog wrote that the story occurred in the northwest county of Dawes, Nebraska, just around the Pine Ridge. And later in the article, it said there's a report of a Jack Lewis, a cowboy working ranches around the Black Hills of South Dakota and northern Nebraska and Prairie, having a personal encounter with the vampire. Author of the article, the Nebraska State Historical Society assistant curator Dale Bacon died in 2012, so nobody could ask him. Um where he got his information and there weren't any records proving Jack Lewis existed. Now the name is fairly common and when it comes to ascertaining the validity of a story like this since it's a common name it's harder to, to determine uh, the truth of the matter. Nor did the South Dakota Historical Society Press have any knowledge of this story when he, the author inquired. Now, unrelated to the story I related, but interesting nonetheless, there are a few noteworthy vampire place names in South Dakota. Vampire Peak was named in 1915 for the many bats in the area, plus the blood-red streaks of sand and rock that run uh, across the peak. And there's Vampire Valley, though nobody really knows why it was named that. Now, there is a, a potentially related story. It was a rare tale that's often mish, missed by paranormal enthusiasts, but it was found by uh, researchers. The original story is published in that bastion of scientific in information, the Illustrated Police News, April 25, 1895. Seems a wealthy rancher named Converse met a horrible death in Sioux City, Woodbury County, Iowa, on Wednesday. He's a maniac uh, confined in a Sioux City lunatic asylum who imagines himself a vampire and is considered excessively dangerous. So a close watch, of course, was kept on him, but he managed to elude the, the guards and escape on Wednesday morning. Well, not long after his escape, he met Mr. Converse. Sprang at him in a fury, bore Converse to the ground, and tore him to pieces with his teeth. And when Converse ceased to struggle, the would-be vampire fastened his teeth on his neck and sucked the blood from a gaping wound. And after he slacked his um, hunger, so to speak, 
went back to the asylum where his appearance showed the asylum official something dreadful had happened. So a search was undertaken, and the mangled body of Mr. Converse was discovered, mutilated almost beyond recognition. Well, as it stands, Sioux City, Iowa, and the Pine Ridge region are about 350 miles apart. So the question is, could the vampire inmate of Sioux City have escaped again after this, uh, uh, his encounter with Mr. Converse? And if he did, then he flee, did he flee to the Pine Ridge area where he resumed his reign of terror? Now, the Sioux City account was published in April of 1895. Pine Ridge accounts first published in November of 1895, giving the alleged vampire plenty of time to cross the open range. Now, that being said, there's possibly a problem with the source of the Sioux City story. Illustrated police news from which it came was a tabloid as opposed to a respected news source. More than anything else, the goal of the newspaper was exploitation of morbid crimes to shock the readers. So you have to ask yourself, how much were these uh, crimes uh, embellished? No, based on real news items with lavish illustrations, it's tough to say how accurate their reports were. It's even voted the worst newspaper in England by readers of the Palmyle Gazette. Now, that being said, Illustrated Police News is the first source of the story that uh, anybody's been able to find. But it could have appeared in smaller papers elsewhere first. And afterwards, it was run in many newspapers in Australia. Now, the original source of the Iowa story is puzzling. When placed in context with the better-known Nebraska tale, you have to wonder if a real vampire did wonder about the ranges of the Midwest after all. Now, if you look for other legends from the Pine Ridge area, you find the story of the walking man. Which appears to be a giant ghostly effigy of Abraham Lincoln. It's a seven-foot-tall phantom, it's, and it's a relatively recent phenomenon encountered on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. The entity bears a superficial a resemblance to Old Abe, and some think uh, the name Walking Sam is a reference to Uncle Sam. According to local legend, Walking Sam's a spirit that fills people with so much dread and hopelessness they commit suicide when they're, if they're alone in the woods. Well, back in the 20s, there was a great deal of brouhaha about King Tut's tomb. And in spite of that, the idea of mummies as reanimated bandaged corpses is mostly thanks to Universal Studios' um, series The Mummy from 1932, one which Boris Karloff played the undead Imhotep. Now, in real life, there are actually relatively few stories of mummies coming back to life from the dead. But they are still indelibly inked, linked to the supernatural, and they're not unique to Egypt. In fact, the Americas have quite a few haunted mummies of our own. Now, the story I'm going to relate begins with the mysterious civilization known as the Mound Builders. To this day, nobody knows who they were. 
one of the most popular legends says that they were giants. In fact, when some of the mounds have been dug up, they've been found to have covered uh, corpses, eight to ten feet tall, six fingers, six toes, and usually they have red hair and they're wearing copper armor. And they were well known back in the day. I mean, Abraham Lincoln even mentioned them in a speech. Other folks say they were a fairly advanced race of normal human beings. Whoever they were, whatever they were, their cultures thought to have spanned from about 3500 B.C. to the 16th century A.D. Now these mounds that I mentioned extend across the Americas, but the ones we're going to talk about are located in eastern Oklahoma. Known collectively as the Spiral Mounds, but one in particular of special interest was always known as both the Great Mortuary Mound and the Craig Mound, after one of the landowners. They were about 300 feet long by 100 feet wide. Highest point is about 33 feet at the peak. Could be a coincidence, of course, but the number 33 has a great deal of occult significance. Now, considering these same mounds were aligned with the sun during the equinox, much like Stonehenge, um, probably some, not a coincidence, and probably some relation to the folks that built Stonehenge. Now, some of the time... People believed these mounds was a um, represented a burial ground for a long since vanished tribe of Native Americans. The uh, mound was first sighted by a Choctaw named Rachel Brown, who used the nearby flood plain of the Arkansas River to grow, grow crops. After new bound was new bound, a new barn was constructed near the mound to house her mules. It didn't take long for the or to see the mounds and were actually haunted. The mules housed in the barn were so spooked and upset they refused to work. Horses uh, brought near the mound also became upset by something. Nobody seemed to know what it was. Now, while spooked animals were one thing, Rachel eventually saw a strange sight that would seem right at home in one of the Ghostbuster films. It was 1905. And she was asleep in her home, and she was startled from sleep by a great noise. Well, she went to the window and looked outside and saw a great blue flame shooting from the ground. Then, according to what she said, she saw what she described as a tiny wagon pulled by a team of cats come out of the fire. And this cat wagon did circles in the air around the flames. Now, before you think she was smoking left-hand cigarettes, over the years, others would also claim to see the phantom wagons. However, they did not mention the phantom cats. These wagons were either described as miniature or gigantic. Eventually, the property came under the ownership of William Craig, who remained very protective of the mounds. He died in 1930, and his heirs decided to lease the site to pot hunters. Eventually, they formed the Pocola Mining Company. And for two years, from 1933-1935, the site was mined for its historical artifacts, which included carved seashells, pearls, copper breastplates, and other priceless items reminiscent of Mesoamerican culture. These items were sold to museums and private collectors. Now, the Pocola Mining Company was composed of six Arkansas and Oklahoma men, 
and they controlled the excavation of these mounds. One day in 1935, excavators hit a petrified mud wall about 26 feet down. In a book called Looting Spiral Mounds, historian David Lever uh, related that the pickaxe broke through in, in empty space. It was a hissing sound as air rushed into the, the hollow chamber they had broken into. The main chamber had an 18-foot ceiling, and inside they found uh, well-preserved mummified bodies along with other well-preserved artifacts. These bodies were still dressed in colorful garments, but were of little use to the pot hunters, so they were tossed aside. Other than the mummies, the pot hunters took every item they could get their hands on, though. Newspapers at the time called this discovery America's King Tut's Tomb. Discovery of King Tut's Tomb was a sensationalized event that when it was reported in 1922 and was still fresh in the American consciousness in 1935. Well, the story of King Tut's Tomb was further immortalized when members of the expedition that uncovered it began turning up dead, which gave rise to the legendary curse of King Tut's Tomb. Well, it was nobody's surprise to nobody that uh, a curse seemed to follow the discovery and ill-treatment of the mummies inside the Great Mortuary Mound. The Bacola Mining Company lost several men during the excavation process. In fact, one man was buried alive when a tunnel collapsed on him. And while that could be chalked up to a typical mining accident, some suspicious, more suspicious were the deaths that occurred outside the mounds. Men were killed in car accidents and by strange illnesses, which, of course, gave rise to stories about King Tut's tomb. One of the lawyers representing the Pecola Mining Company was found dead alone in his office. most chilling death of all was that of the Reverend R.W. Wall, a local pastor who aided Pecola Mining Company in securing the release. He was found drowned in a creek bed that had been dry for weeks. Now, the curse apparently only extended to the careless miners at the Pecola Mining Company. A bit later, thanks to public outcry, the Oklahoma State Legislature passed the Oklahoma Antiquities Law to protect archaeological sites, and the Pecola Mining Company was kicked off the site. But not before dynamiting the Great Chamber before they left, sealing it off from a team of anthropologists from the University of Oklahoma. Amused by the Whole brouhaha, they paid the curse no heed. And the lead anthropologist, Forrest Clements, uh, made the comment that regular wages have come from his work. Now, that's something. Well, nobody from the anthropology department suffered the curse that was ever revealed. The data site's still being studied, and the ghosts seem to have been laid to rest since the days of Rachel Brown. Of course. We don't know what happens in the night. Stories that get poo-pooed never see the light of day. Well, let's talk about a vampire in Lafayette, Colorado. According to local legend, buried in the municipal cemetery of Lafayette is a vampire who died in 1919. Now, I didn't know vampires could die, but that's just me. People claim the grave is the site of much paranormal activity with spectral figures seen hanging about along with disembodied voices and strange lights. And people who have 
gone there have claimed to have been attacked by a mysterious figure, and the only clues are a set of footprints leading back to the grave. And one of the strangest details of all that's been reported, battery-operated devices quickly become drained if you take them uh, into the grave's vicinity. So all this brouhaha over a grave, well, there are two reasons. First, the man buried in that grave was from Transylvania. And a large tree grows from right where the man's chest would be. According to legend, that tree grew from a stake that had been driven into the man's heart. So, now you have to ask yourself, why was the stake driven through his heart? Well, that was done because he was a vampire, don't you know? And according to legend, for reasons unknown, the townspeople dug up the man's remains shortly after he died. And they saw he had blood near his mouth, which contained larger than normal teeth. And to top it off, he had extremely long fingernails. So the townspeople did the only thing they could think to do, and they drove the stake through his heart. Now, in actuality... There seemed to be two men buried in the grave, which was sometimes the custom in those days. The first was a man named Todor Glava, immigrant from Austria, but he was born in Transylvania. He died December 6, 1918, most likely from the uh, Spanish flu epidemic that was running across the country in those days. second man was John Trendafir, also from Transylvania. He died about a week later on the 13th. Now, his cause of death had nothing to do with vampires. I mean, there was no holy water, there was no decapitation, there were no stakes to his heart. Died of pneumonia, probably also due to the 1918 pandemic. Of the two men, it was Glava who was thought to be the vampire. Now, Lafayette had been a booming mining town back in the late 1800s and early 20th century. And as such, it attracted many immigrants looking for work. Well, when asked about the alleged vampire, Claudia Lund, curator of the Lafayette Miners Museum, said supposedly he was a miner that came from Transylvania. And that part of the world has always had a certain history behind it. Especially if you consider the Dracula story and everything related to it. Well, as it stands, there are no stories of either Trandafir or Glava attacking anybody in Lafayette. Vampire legends sprang about predominantly from the tree, apparently. A tree, supposedly mysteriously grew up from the grave where his heart would have been. And people wondered if there wasn't a stake driven through his heart because they were sure he was a vampire. Well, when blood-red roses also grew near the grave, that was apparently all the people needed to start the vampire story. Well, after the vampire myth was fully established, local children dare each other to stand on the grave, as children often do. Wasn't long after that story started to emerge about ghosts being sighted near the grave along with strange voices being heard. One investigator named Anam um, Paranormal took an electronic voice phenomena device to record the noises near the grave and also an EMF meter which detects electromagnetic fields and got surprising results. The, um, the EMF ranged from zero to maxes and Never really stayed at one reading or another the whole time, so good luck getting a decent base reading for comparison. Even in the daytime, EMF uh, went too nutty. And the the electronic voice phenomenon recorded uh, was a voice that stated, Do you want my steak? 
Well, the paranormal organization really doesn't believe the, that there's a vampire residing in the grave, but they do think a ghost is probably paying, playing off the grave's reputation. And of course, that's an interesting theory to consider. Well, from vampires, let's talk about skinwalkers. Between August of 1864 and the end of 1866 was the tragic Long Walk, or Trail of Tears, as it's also known. During that time, the, the Navajo people made the trek from Arizona and west of New Mexico to the Bosque Redondo Indian Reservation in Fort Sumner, New Mexico. And over that course of about two years, thousands of Navajos, over 50 separate, 50 separate groups, were forced to make the journey across the desert to Bosque Redondo. And to make matters worse, they'd have to share Bosque Redondo with their old enemies, the Mescalero Apaches. In 1868, the endeavor was officially acknowledged as a fa uh, failure, and all the Navajo were allowed to return home to the place they called uh, Denita, or Navajo Land. But, unfortunately for them, the horrors and ramifications of the Long Walk weren't over yet. Because like many other historical events, the aftermath of the Long Walk has a hidden history that's actually related to the supernatural. When the Navajo returned to their homeland in 1868, they did so without adequate provisions for the journey. And as such, when they settled back to what they thought would be their old lives in Denita, they came upon hard times. There was great sickness among the people, and their livestock was also uh, suffering. Rousing suspicions, probably based on jealousy of the time, was the fact that some families prospered with their livestock and farms while others suffered badly. Some blamed this sickness, along with other hardships, on witchcraft. And over the next decade, the whispers of witchcraft would glow louder until they finally reached a fever pitch in the summer of 1878. According to the Navajo, there were four types of witchcraft that could be perpetrated, identified as witchery, sorcery, wizardry, and frenzy witchcraft. It was sorcery and witchery that made up the bulk of the allegations of the Navajo Witch Purge of 1878. Oh, I just got notified Tina Turner died at the age of 83. Sorry to see her go. The four categories, as I said, um, sorcery and witchery, um, well, the bulk of the allegations. Sorcery in the Navajo context referred to the burial property of victims or pieces of the victims themselves, and witchery in this sense meant people being hit or injected with foreign projectiles. For instance, the bone darts, the most dreaded weapon of many Native American cultures, and it was often fired by what was known as a skinwalker. Now, the skinwalkers are most common to the Navajo, though a few other Native American tribes have variations of them, and all could change into different animals. Or, in other words, they were Native American werewolves. Well, they just didn't transform into wolves. They could also become foxes and coyotes and other animals common to the southwest, including a number of types of birds. Today, skinwalkers is a term the layman knows uh, these creatures by, but the Navajo themselves call them, was it? He goes on all fours, and I can't begin begin to pronounce the uh, the word from the Navajo language.
Zotsak, Ji Nao Delushi. Why does tribal medicine man use her knowledge to heal the sick? The skinwalkers use theirs to harm and commit evil deeds. And their most powerful weapon, of course, was corpse powder, the dried-up crushed bone powder of the dead. And, of course, one of their weapons was the, the bone darts I mentioned, fired at their victims to cause sickness. As to how somebody became a skinwalker, the finer points are lost in mystery for the most part, but the final phase of initiation occurred after one had killed either a sibling or a close relative. And to induce the transformation of a man to beast, the skinwalker had to wear the pelt of the animal they wanted to transform into. Sometimes they might even wear the skull of the animal on top of their heads, as it was thought this increased their power. You'd pick their animal based on the task at hand. If they wanted speed, they'd might choose a four-footed animal like a wolf or even a mountain lion of some sort. When it brutes drink, they might choose a bear, for instance. And for this reason, you won't see a regular Navajo wearing the pelt of a predatory animal as the skinwalkers made it taboo. But the skinwalkers' powers didn't stop at shea shifting. They're also able to possess people. And, frankly, maybe possession is not the right word. Wasn't implied their spirit entered the victim's body as much as they'd gained control over the person after locking eyes with them for too long. And how might one spot a skinwalker? Well, in human form, they're said to have animal like eyes. In animal form, their eyes appear more human like, and if a bright light is shown on them, they'll glow red. Well, the witchcraft has always been a despised but acknowledged part of the Navajo existence. What kicked off what would later be known as the Navajo Witch Purge was a discovery of a cursed item in the first half of 1878. Apparently, a Navajo found the cursed item buried in the Arizona desert near Ganado Lake. Now, being a good Navajo, he couldn't touch the cursed item. So, a local trader named Charles Hubble was recruited to do the job. He was the brother of Juan Don Lorenzo Hubble, who, along with his brother, were born in San Miguel County, New Mexico. And they established a franchise of trading posts across the Southwest. Eventually, they developed quite a rapport with the Navajo and began trading with them. And one of the ways in which the Hubbles benefited the Navajo and themselves was in helping them to determine which patterns on their blankets were the most popular among consumers so they'd know what to produce more of. Of Hubble, it was said that sentiment about him varied. Euro-Americans viewed him as the dean of Indian traders in the Southwest, and some Navajo customers said it was good to have Trader Hubble as a friend. Others said Navajos did everything around his trading ranch for very low wages. Well, the Navajos requested Charles Hubble go and remove the cursed item found near Ganado Lake, and he agreed and made what was described as a chilling discovery. Though there are a number of accounts that differ on what it was he found, the most interesting alleges that what he found was a shallow grave, and then it was a dead body with the stomach split open. And within the stomach of the dead body, he found either a curse scrawled on a random piece of paper or the actual 1868 treaty between the Navajo and the U.S. government, 
that had released him from Bosque Granada. Or, excuse me, Bosque Granda. Well, a grandson of a tribal member named Hash K. Yelnava, years later, recollected to uh, researcher Martha Blue that the collection these witches gathered was found wrapped in paper, and this paper was, I think, the Treaty of 1868. And it was stuffed in the belly of a dead person and buried in a grave. Well, the... Um, The unearthing of this cursed item said about a series of events comparable to the Salem Witch Trials of the uh, late 1600s, only a lot less publicized. And it resulted in about 40 people being executed as skinwalkers or witches. And while some of the executed folks may well have been actual skinwalkers, it's believed that plenty of others were just the victims of malicious false allegations motivated by jealousy and petty feuds within the tribe. First skinwalker to die was executed right in front of Hubble's trading post. It's said he was standing in the doorway. Years later, an elderly tribesman named Yazi Tis Yaz related um, a story about that to researcher Martha Blue. He said Hastin G. Kyle de Goli was first killed in the doorway of Hubble's first trading post near the lake after he told about his companion killing young people. After that, the trading post was relocated to the present site because neighborhoods were afraid of the trading post where Hostin J. Kali de Gaulle was killed and considered the building haunted. Well, whoever killed the skinwalker in front of Hubble's trading post made a poor decision in location as the Navajo belief system warns that the dead spirit of a violent killing is going to linger at the kill spot. And as a result, Hubble had to move his post to a location near Ganado Lake. According to the description of the doorway, there was blood all over, so the people living around there told Hubble that he should live in a place where somebody died. And soon after, the Navajo went after Hospinji Kyle's companion that he had accused of killing young people. His name was Hustin Bawase, and he was in the vicinity performing a ceremony, so some Navajos went there to kill him. And according to some account, as many as 50 people went out in search of Bawase, Grandson of one of the posse, Hash uh, K. Yonaya, said the people gathered from Ganado and from Greasewood and others from Clegatol, and they prepared themselves, armed themselves with guns and arrows and clubs, and there were a lot of them were on horseback. There were 50 or 100 of them uh, in the posse. Well, where they found Boasi has never been specified, but they did find him. He was in some kind of residence. And they stated their business to the inhabitants of the structure, all of whom left, and then they drug Bowosi outside. And there, a respected leader of the tribe, uh, Tatsoni Huston, uh, officially pronounced Bowosi as a witch, and all but one were set to kill him. That being Ganado Mucho, who said, No, he's my relative, he's my older brother. And in some of the stories about this incident, it's also stated Mucho made the case that as dangerous as a skinwalker was in life, the ghost could even be more deadly. So, uh, Ashka Yanaya argued that Bilwasi had cut off his chance for a good life. So, Hostin uh, gave the go-ahead to kill him, and the group shot him and then stoned him. You know, following Bilwasi's death, tensions continued to escalate throughout Denita. Charles Hubble and his employees feared that since their post had been the site of the first killing, they might be implicated in it somehow. 
In my late spring, Hubble was concerned enough with the witch purge to write a letter to W.B. Leonard, Fort Defiance, Arizona Territory, dated May 31, 1878. In the letter, he requested be sent rifles and ammunition because he had expected a big row among the Navajo. He felt a large band of them maybe may arrive from Canyon de Chile, Arizona, to attack most of the Anglo settlers in particular. He was afraid his store would be destroyed. In another letter he wrote on that same day, Hubble revealed he'd received intel from an informant he identified as Ganeo, that certain Indians were arming themselves had intent to harm him specifically. As a result, he requested soldiers from Fort Defiance come and protect him, his family, and the trading post. Now, sometime later, Manuelito, another Navajo tribal leader, arrived at Fort Wingate with a letter he'd written to J.L. Hubble. Stating Navajos had tied up six medicine men accused of witchcraft, and he was convinced many Navajos would start murdering each other without military intervention. And as to why Manuelito himself wasn't caught up in the witch hunt, it was allegedly because his own cousin had executed early that summer. Eventually, the military did intervene as they were requested. Ten accused witches were brought before a military council presided over by Lieutenant D.D. Mitchell. And instead of having them executed as the Navajo had done, he let them go and gave a stern speech condemning the killing of the alleged witches. Well, according to local legend, the killings lessened in number, though a few still occurred in isolated areas from time to time. But for the most part, after this um, military intervention, Navajo Witch Purge of 1878 was over. Of course, today we brush off the witchcraft claims as unfounded superstition, and while most of them probably were false claims based on petty feuds, how many more might have concerned true supernatural evil? I mean, after all, there's still many sightings of skinwalkers in Navajo country today. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We're going to talk more about witches and skinwalkers and vampires and mummies and anything else you can imagine. But for now, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Till then, have a great evening.